Can you believe it's already the end of August? I mean, back in June, the beginning of June, we started this series, 13-week series called One Thing Remains, and August 28th seemed like a long way off, but here we are. If you've been with us over this summer, you know that we've worked our way through the Old Testament books of Jonah and Ruth, and then over the past couple weekends, Pastors Kristen and Pastor Alex did a great job of talking about faith and hope, and today I get to finish off the entire series with a message about love. Now, if you haven't been with us, if this is your first weekend with us, first of all, welcome. But this message is a good standalone call for all of us, not only to experience, but to live out God's love. And if we're going to do that, if we're going to experience and live out God's love, first thing we have to do is understand, what is love? Now, I know there have been songs and poems and prose written about what is love down through the millennia. And when we talk about God is love, we need to understand That's a little different meaning than the the usual meaning of love. So let's look at what our culture means by the word love. We're going to go to dictionary.com, and here are three definitions of love. A profoundly tender, passionate affection for another person. A feeling of warm personal attachment or deep affection as for a parent, child, or friend. Sexual passion or desire. So the theme flowing through those three definitions is this affection, this care and concern, this personal connection. And we can use those words in sentences. The first one, she fell in love with her boss. I love Nancy, my wife. They made love. And we know what we mean by those words. But the reality is when we say God is love or let us love one another as Jesus first loved us, it means something very different. I'm not saying that God isn't passionate or affectionate towards us. I'm not saying that he doesn't want us to exercise our sexuality. I'm just saying that it means something much more basic and yet so much something much more profound than that. So the Bible was written in the New Testament in Greek. Koine Greek, it's called, which means common Greek. It wasn't the classical Greek of some of the other writings that are still in existence today. But that Greek in Jesus' day was used to express the word love differently than we do. In fact, they had four different words that we use for the one word love. So when we say God is love, we need to think about a little different way. In fact, the reality is, I, I have an analogy. I've been finishing up learning Spanish over the past several months. Um, I used to do this. I would think of what I wanted to say to you in English, then I would translate it into Spanish in my head, and then I would say the words in Spanish. And that would get me by in Spanish-speaking countries. But over the last several months, something happened. Much of the time now, I think of the Spanish words. I'm thinking in Spanish and the words come out in Spanish. It's a lot easier because there's not that wasting of time of translation. Now, I bring that up because when we read the word love, God is love in English, somebody already did the translation work for us. In fact, we might think there is only one word in the Greek for love, but there are actually more. In fact, there's a word agape, a word eros, a word philios, a word sturge. They mean different things. And let me give you an example. Jesus rose from the dead, and after that, he had breakfast with some of the disciples. Peter was one of them. If you know much about the New Testament, you know that Peter had denied he had ever met Jesus the night before Jesus was crucified. So this meeting was a serious meeting. Jesus and Peter came back together, and here's what it says in John chapter 21. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Now, we might assume that Jesus and Peter used the same word for love, but they didn't. Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you agape me more than these? 
And Peter said, yes, Lord, I philia you more than, you know that I do. So there are two different words, and they have two very drastically different meanings. So if we're going to understand God is love and God's love for us, we need to understand the differences in the Greek words that we translate as love. And I don't usually make a big deal about this because most of the time it doesn't matter. Mostly the English translation is perfectly fine. It gets across the meaning. But in this case, you can see there's a little difference. So we need to know what the four words in Greek mean. Eros is a physical or sexual attraction and desire. Now, when we say, I love pizza, that's also eros because it's a physical attraction, hopefully not a sexual attraction. Well, let's not go there. Okay, so then we have philia, which is a bond of friendship or affection. In our culture, there's this thing called a bromance. Ever heard of that? It's when two guys like each other. It's not, it's not a sexual thing. They're just really good friends. And so the word philia is that when Peter says, you know, I philia you, he's meaning I'll be your best friend, Jesus. Okay, the next one is agape. Whoops, I missed one. Storge. Storge is a mother's love for her children or an animal, you know, the hen's love for the chicks. And so when we say the mother loved and doted on her children, that's storge. And then finally, agape. Agape is a self-sacrificing concern for the good of another that does whatever is necessary to bring about the other's good. So those definitions don't come from a Greek lexicon, which is a dictionary of a dead language. They come from basically 40 years of study of the Greek language by me, and especially a study of those four words because they're so significant. Now, when Peter and Jesus had their conversation, Peter's answer is, I'll be your best friend, Jesus. And Jesus said, well, I don't want you to be my best friend. I want you to be willing to die for me. That's a big difference. That's a much bigger ask, right? So we're going to look at a couple passages right now that are going to help us understand agape. That's the kind of love that we mean when we say God is love. And when Jesus told us to love, it's agape one another as I have first agaped you. So if we're going to do that, here's the thing. Our call as Jesus' followers, as Jesus' followers, to put him first to do what's best for him because only then will we experience what's best for us. And I want to focus on that again. Our call as Jesus' followers is to put him first, to do what's best for him because only then will we experience what is best for us. And I think that's a little counterintuitive for people living in America in the 21st century. You see, a look at our culture tells us that when we say I love something, it's usually about us. Like even if I say I love Nancy, what I'm saying is I, she's my wife and I love her and I do, I do stuff for her, but really I hope that there's going to be a reciprocal thing that I'm going to get something back, right? In marriage, I hope that I get something back. And so when I say I love her, but if I say I agape Nancy, what, what that means is that I'm willing to do something for her even if she doesn't do something for me. In fact, Jesus said this, if you want to be my disciple, then you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And if I say that statement and you say, well, that means Jesus wants us to serve him, maybe even be a slave to him, but does it mean he wants us to love him? Well, yes, it does. Exactly, that's exactly what agape is. It means that we, you and I are willing to lay down our lives and take up a cross for Jesus' sake and do whatever he wants me or you to do. So hold on to that thought. 
while we turn to today's take-home point. It's a very simple take-home point. It's only three words long, but I believe that if you take that word, that that take-home point to heart, as we're going to talk about agape today, it will change your life. I know it changes my life when I do it. So here it is. God is love. Three simple words. God is love. And that take-home point comes directly from John, um, the, the apostle, in his first letter to the church at large, Chapter 4, verse 8, where it says, But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So when I say God is love, what do you think? You think, oh, God likes me, God cares about me, God has affection for me, and all those things are true. But what it really means when you say God is love is it means that God is willing to do whatever it takes for us. And the original Greek, I'm going to translate that 1 John 4, 8, directly from the Greek, word order being the same, And it's going to sound like Yoda wrote it, okay? Here's what it says in the original Greek. The not agapeing one does not know the God because the God agape is. That's the original word order. It's a literal translation. Being as faithful to the Greek verbs and all that kind of stuff and replacing the word love in English with agape. And we see now why the English translations don't usually do the exact word order. Because it sounds like Yoda wrote the New Testament and he didn't. You know, spoiler alert, Yoda doesn't actually exist. Okay, so anyway, see why the Bible translators change it a little bit? The point is this. God is not just warm, fuzzy feelings. God is not sexual urges. God is a self-sacrificing being whose concern for us does whatever is necessary for our good. A few weeks ago, as we worked our way through the second chapter of the book of Ruth, I said one of the most important questions and most common questions people have asked me is, why do bad things happen to good people? And then I said, the short answer is, they don't in a perfect world. And then I went on to explain how Jesus, the only perfect person who ever lived, was executed. Because, why? (laughs) Well, it proves there's not a perfect world, but it also proves something else. God is agape. You see, God is not just agape, but God is also holy. God is perfect, and he can't look on sin, which means he can't look on us. And so what happened is he left heaven, came to earth in the man Jesus Christ, and he lived the only perfect life that ever was lived, and then he died for us in our place. That's agape. In fact, that's the best example of agape that we've ever seen. In fact, God loves us so much, he agapes us so much, that we can only be separated from him over his dead body. I want you to think about that statement because there's so many people have said to me over the years, I don't understand how a loving God can send people to hell. A loving God has never sent a single person to hell. People have gone to hell because they have rejected the loving God who has died and risen again. The best example of agape ever is Jesus Christ hanging on the cross for you and me. So when John wrote God is agape, he also wrote something else. Anyone who does not agape does not know God. Well, let's do a full stop right there, because if I said to you, what does it mean to be a Christian? You might say, well, it means to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Or you might say to be a Christian means um, to trust in Jesus as my Savior and Lord. Those things are true. But I bet you not many of us would say this. Being a Christian means living toward God and others in ways that show them we consider what is best for them and doing whatever it takes to bring about their good as the most important reality in our lives. Can you imagine a world where every Christian lived that way? Jesus did. That's why Jesus came, to show us how to live that way. You see, God created the universe, everything it contains for us. He didn't need to do that. He did it for us 
because he agapes us. And then when we rejected him, he didn't reject us. He gave us laws, he gave us leaders, he gave us prophets, priests, and kings. But then, in the end, agape, agape demanded that he come here among us. So he did. It's incredible. I mean, beyond my comprehension to understand how the body of people known as the church of Jesus Christ who exists to reflect the agape of God can be known out there in the world as people who are against everything, as people who don't like them, as people who are haters. How is that possible (laughs) that the ones who are supposed to reflect the agape of the one who is agape have that reputation oftentimes? Well, it's really simple. G.K. Chesterton is credited with a statement that explains it. He said, the Christian life has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. It's not just difficult, folks. It's impossible. It's impossible to live agape toward other people unless we have the presence of Jesus in our very lives by the Holy Spirit. So the longer I live, the more I'm becoming aware that I can't have any impact out there in the world until I submit myself to the truth and the agape of Jesus. And you might be hearing what I'm saying, and you might be saying, well, I could never do that. I can never live like that. Don't believe the lie of the devil, because you can, and I can, we can live that way. We can. God created us to live that way. Right now, we're going to turn to one of the most familiar passages that addresses agape. You've probably heard it read at weddings. If you've been to two or three weddings, I guarantee you've heard it once. It's a passage that talks about love is this, it's not that, all these things about love. It was not written for weddings. But the reason it is read at weddings is because it tells a man and a woman how they can live together in a relationship of agape for the rest of their lives. And really, that's the only way that we can live a marriage that reflects the marriage between Jesus and his bride, the church. So it's 1 Corinthians 13. You can turn there if you would like and follow along. It'll be up on the screen. But before we turn there, let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you agape us and that you are agape and that you call us to live in agape toward you and others. Today, God, as we read these words that are probably familiar to most of us, I pray that we'll see them in a different way today, God. I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you'll open our minds, our hearts, our lives, our spirit, souls to you to your truth, and that you'll empower us to not only receive your love, your agape, but to live it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul wrote, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. So once again, Paul sounded a little bit like Yoda in the original language. He said this, but agape not I have. If agape not I have. In other words, I can speak a hundred languages, but if agape not I have, it doesn't matter. I can prophesy, I can tell you stuff that you never heard about before, But if agape not I have, it doesn't matter. I can even sacrifice my body. I can die. But if agape not I have, it's no good. You see, when what Paul is saying here is when we do something for somebody else, 
mostly, what do we want? Somebody will say, thank you. They'll see our sacrifice. We might do something great, even sacrificial. And, and we want to hear, thank you. But, and I'm not saying pl- don't say thank you the next time somebody does something nice for you. But what I'm saying is if we do things for others with the motive of hearing thank you, that's not agape. Agape does the good for the other without even thinking about thank you. So let's move on as Paul offered a handful of other realities about agape. Every time we read the word love or it, I'm going to actually substitute the word agape because that's what is there. So agape is patient and kind. Agape is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Agape does not amend agape's own way. Agape is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. Agape does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. So have you ever been to a wedding and you heard that scripture read and you say, okay, well, love might be patient and kind. It might not be jealous or it might not be boastful or proud or rude. It might not be any of those things. And it it might not demand its own way. It might not be irritable. It might keep no record of wrongs but rejoices in the truth. But that's not going to be the way it is. (laughs) Have you ever thought that? Heck, I've read the scriptures myself and stood there and going, no, I don't think so. You know why? You know why? Because... It's impossible to live those things outside of having a relationship with the living God in Jesus Christ. And even when we have it, it's still hard. It's hard to live that way. But here's the thing. You you might read that passage and say, I don't think Jesus really thought we would live that way. Actually, yes, Jesus did really think and believe that we would live that way. In fact, here's a cool thing. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but one of the most amazing things about Jesus, he believes in us. So much more than we believe in him. Jesus believes in us more than we believe in him. Have you ever thought about that? When we wake up in the morning, Jesus is going, ah, you can do it. In my power, you can do it. I know you can. You see, Paul wrote the words, but these come from the very heart of Jesus. Because God is agape. So Paul continues, love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful and it endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. So agape is eternal. Other spiritual gifts are going to end. Gifts of prophecy, tongues, knowledge, but not agape. And Paul goes on to tell us that we don't get it fully right now. In fact, he says now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. So one day, we are going to get it. When is that day coming? Well, when perfection comes. And when is perfection going to come? Now, there are some in the body of faith in the Christian church around the world who believe that perfection already came. That the perfection came when the Bible was completed, when the 66 books of our English Bible were completed, and we had that knowledge, all knowledge, then we don't need knowledge anymore. We don't need prophecy anymore. We don't need tongues anymore, that it's all ceased. Now, I don't want to go down that rabbit trail, but really? (laughs) I mean, do you know everything? Do you feel like you have perfect knowledge? There's not a single day in my life when I go, well, I know everything. That was when I was 14. You know, it's not today. I don't think I know everything anymore. There's not a single day where I say, wow, I get it. And so I believe that the day of perfection is when Jesus returns. When Jesus returns, then we'll have perfection. But right now, 
Um, we don't experience agape in all of its fullness as recipients or as givers. Then we will. So Paul wraps up his teaching with a couple of powerful images. He says, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. First image. Here's the second one. Now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely just as God now knows me completely. So first, Paul reminds us what he was like when he was a child. Now, I need to say that Jesus said, unless we turn and become like children, we will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is not what Paul's talking about. Childlike is what Jesus was talking about. You know what childlike is? Ever seen a little kid wakes up in the morning, they go, oh, wow, new day. They see something for the first time, and it's amazing. They trust you. They don't say, can I check your ID? They just trust you right? That's childlike. Childlike is good, but childish. We've all seen it. The little kid throwing the tantrum because they don't get the Almond Joy bar in the checkout line. The little kid who says, mine. You know, I, I said the first two words little kids learn, sometimes it's mama, dada, but mostly it's no and mine. And Paul said, I used to be no and mine. I used to throw tantrums, but I grew up. I'm not like that anymore. And then the second thing he says, the second image he uses, it's a very cool one. Uh, I don't think uh, they had this happen in his day. But like when you get out of a hot shower and, you know, I come over and I try to look in the mirror and it's all fogged up. I, I can't even tell if it's me for sure. I know it is, but I mean, I can't tell, right? It's an imperfect image. But Paul says, one day the image is going to be perfect. And I'm going to know everything fully just as I have been fully known already. God already knows everything. But one day, and I, you know, I've been saying this at all the services, and I still believe it because somebody challenged me on this last night, but I still believe I'm right. And here it is. I'm going to wake up in front of Jesus. Either he's coming back or I'm going to go see him. And when I wake up in front of Jesus, it's going to be like, whoa, now I get it. All that stuff that I was wondering about, like why did my mom die when she was 67? Why did I have a miscarriage? Why, why, why? It's all going to go, huh, oh, <laughs> I got it. But that's not yet. But one day it's coming. And you know, one of the things about Paul, Paul was probably the brightest Pharisee alive in his day. Paul was probably one of the most brilliant men who ever lived. And yet he said, I don't get it completely. What humility. And all of us could stand to use a little bit of that humility today. So Paul concludes, three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Or as the NIV puts it, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So all summer, we've been saying one thing remains. Actually, it turns out there's three things that remain. Faith, hope, and agape. But the reason we said one thing is because agape is the greatest. And we can debate about whether it's possible for us to live agape in our everyday lives. But you know, it wasn't a debate for the Apostle John and the Apostle Paul. They just did it. <laughs> they just lived agape every single day in the power of the Holy Spirit. They didn't do it perfectly. They admitted it. But every single day they got up and they believed that Jesus believed in them more than they believed in themselves. And so they entered into every day with the idea that today... <laughs> I'm going to care more about what God wants. I'm going to care more about what other people need than what I want. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, they lived it out. And in the early church, it happened so much that hundreds of thousands of people believed in Jesus as Savior and Lord one year after he went back to heaven. That's what biblical scholars believe. Hundreds of thousands from 12. And now millions, billions 
of people believe. But do we really? You know, I mean, it's not enough to just believe that there is a God who has a son named Jesus. That's all good stuff. But really, it's living it out. And so that's why here's today's next step. I will love agape others as God loves agapes me. Imagine how different your family will be, your workplace will be, your school will be when that happens. I mean, I'm opening up my email this week to hear stories. Chris at newlifexn.org. I want you to send me an email, and it's not to brag, just to say, hey, you know what? I let the Holy Spirit work, and this is what happened, and I, my coworker fell over <laughs> because they thought I was a Christian. Well, they didn't think I was a Christian. They, told me, they thought I told them I was a Christian, but now I acted like a Christian? Oh, my goodness. It made a big difference. Now, am I saying that none of you act like Christians? Not at all. I'm just saying how I know how I act sometimes. I still act like they took my Almond Joy bar and didn't give it to me at the counter. But we don't have to. We get to live a different way in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? The Christian life is simple, but it's not easy. All we have to do is agape God and others. But when Jesus isn't our Lord and Savior, it can be pretty difficult, if not impossible, to agape others. So today you have the opportunity to learn what it feels like to experience that agape love from God and to be able to share that agape love with others. And that's by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Here at New Life, we say that it is as simple as ABC. A, we admit that we are sinners and that we need Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And B, we believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And C, we confess. We confess that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, and we commit to following Him by the power of the Holy Spirit. And right now, I am going to pray a prayer of salvation, and you can either pray it with me or you can say it in your own words. The bottom line is that right now, you are going to transfer ownership of your life over to Jesus Christ. You're going to accept Him as your master, your savior, your rescuer. You're just gonna give it all up to Him. So pray this with me right now. Dear God, I admit that I am a sinner. And God, I haven't always experienced that agape love and I haven't always given it to others. And so Lord, today I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior so that I can be forgiven of these sins and that he can rescue me and be my savior. And God, I confess to everyone that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And I commit to following him every day by the power of the Holy Spirit. And with Jesus in me, Lord, I will love everyone and show them the same love and grace that you have shown me. And it's in your son, Jesus' name, that I pray.